Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? It is uh, 10.15, and uh, my desire, and I believe God's desire before we go today, is that uh, something radical would shift in the way we think. Uh, how many of you guys would know that uh, we're doing this contending series, and really this idea of contending, well, what is contending? Here's, here's the big idea, that God has not uh, simply gathered us, but God's called us. And too often we might get into a rut or might get into this thinking that church is about a gathering rather than a calling. And, and I just want to quote a scripture right off the bat to you. 1 Corinthians 1, nine says, God who has called you is faithful. Notice it doesn't say that God who gathered you is faithful, but God has called you. Did you know that even if you started going to church a week ago, a month ago, whether you gave your heart to Christ a year ago or when you were three back in 1965, did you know that you have a call? on your life that is not simply a gathering but a calling and God has a dream that he's put inside of us and here's the the big idea for today God has not just given you a calling but God gives local churches callings God gives a, a, a local church, and this is True Life Church, and, and at least for today you're a part of it. Hopefully you'll be a part of it for life. But here's the idea is that God has a calling on this church, and one of those callings, one of the main callings of this house is that we would contend for the next generation. And I'm here to tell you today, I'm here to preach to you, I want to share with you God's thoughts and God's ideas about the current generation, this next generation. And yes, I'm uh, one of the pastors here at True Life, and, and yes, on Tuesday nights we have a youth gathering, it's called Switch. I, I wore my t-shirt, it was my excuse to wear a t-shirt on Sunday, I'm really excited about that. But uh, here's the big idea, you guys, is that God has not called us to simply have a youth gathering. God has called us as a church to contend for a generation. And quite honestly, quite honestly, today is going to be an eye-opener for many of you. And I want to tell you that I've been a pastor involved in youth ministry for 11 years. And even this week, I had my eyes open. Pretty soon, after a while, after you've been in ministry for a while, you hear stories and you're like, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, that seems amazing, but I've heard that before. And wow, yeah, that's horrible that that happened, but yep, that happens in youth ministry. But to this week, I realized that um, there are stories that have happened, and then there are stories that are happening in a whole generation. And I think if you thought back when you were a teenager, I think that uh, we would all agree that it's not like pain arrived in 1995 or 1996 uh, with this generation. Regret and remorse didn't just show up on the scene with this generation. I, I, I bet that you could think back to when you were a teenager and you could think of some pain that maybe you experienced when you were a teenager. I think that you could look back and you could think of some regret or, or maybe perhaps you could think of that one person that that happened to at their school or you remember back when, when your friend's parents broke up or, or there was a big scandal that happened in that one family. And, and I'm here to tell you that I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to convince you today that 
this generation is experiencing some new kind of pain because pain has been around since Adam and Eve. Regret has been around since Adam and Eve. Remorse and uh, uh, bondage has been around since Adam and Eve. But what I am here to tell you today is something is happening with this generation at a rate that we've never seen before. Pain and bruising and brokenness and bondage is, is not new, but it is happening not in this person's life and in that family's life and maybe that kid over in New York City or that person in East L.A., but it's happening in this generation and God has called us not to gather as a church and hang out together and clap a few songs, do a few side hugs and go home to our nice cookie cutter lives. God's called the church to contend for a generation. And so I want to pray today because quite honestly, friends, you need prayer and I need prayer. What you're about to hear is not going to be easy, but how many of you are so glad that no matter what story you hear going on in this world, we have a hope above all hope. That no story is the end of the story, thanks to Jesus Christ who died on the cross. No matter what situation or circumstance or culture we find ourselves in, it is not doom and gloom, but there is a hope and an assurance that we can have. But we need to understand what's going on. How many of you would agree with me? That it is hard to become emotional and it's hard to, to uh, put your, your blood, sweat, and tears into a situation that you can't identify with. If I asked you to, to pray for Tommy in Louisiana, and I said, hey, could we just believe for Tommy? I guess we could all, okay, you know, uh, I don't know Tommy. Uh, I don't know much about Louisiana. They have Cajun things, I don't know, but okay. But how many of you know that if Tommy was your son, if Tommy was in your family, if Tommy you were looking at and you were exposed to and you saw everything that Tommy was going through, how many of you know that contending for Tommy would be a little different because you had been exposed to what Tommy was going through? It's one thing for the church to say, well, we're going to contend for a generation another thing for us to say, we will choose to expose ourselves to what this generation is going through and then contend because we are identifying with what's going on. Anytime there's exposure to something raw, we need prayer. So can I pray for you and you pray for me? I need an anointing and, and just a, a, a covering from the Holy Spirit as we get ready today. Let's pray. Father, right now, I just pray, Lord, we don't want to simply drop shock and awe into a congregation or, or just to spew out things to get a response. But, Lord, I pray that there would be a, a, a spirit, Lord, of contention, Lord, where we would contend for a generation, where we would have our eyes open for the sake, Lord, of seeing a generation restored and healed, seeing us carry, Lord, a generation to the house of God. I pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts, open up our eyes and ears, that we would hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Well, let me get started. Uh, uh, really, my goal today in this idea of contending for a generation is this, uh, simply to expose you to a generation. I, I want to expose you. A lot of times, if you're not with teenagers, you're not around teenagers, you don't know what's going on with this generation, you don't know. So I talked about that expose, and then I want to reveal to you the heart of God for this generation. How many of you know, uh, 
just exposure does nothing good unless there's a solution, unless we understand what God's uh, strategy. And how many of you know that when God sees something, he's, he's not freaking out. God sees something and he's like, I'm all powerful. I've got plans. I'm a God of restoration. So I want to reveal to you the heart of God towards this generation. And then simply this, this is the most important thing. I'm going to call you today. I'm going to call you to contend for a generation. I'm going to call you to action. I'm calling uh, the body of Christ. He's called you and he who called you is faithful. There's a calling on this generation. And before I get into this today, I want you to get this in your heart. There is a responsibility on each generation to teach faith and to reach the previous or the next generation. It's not a youth pastor's calling. It's a generational calling. It's not this idea, well, you know, me and my husband, we don't really, you know, we don't do the teenage thing. You know, we got our kids out of there and we threw a party when they turned 18 and, you know, we did a little party dance. You know, my parents did that. When uh, Joe Michael got out of the house, my sister had gotten out of the house, I got out of the house and my brother was the last one out of the house, my parents did a little dance. You know, they disconnected their phone. You know, they, they, uh, they just kind of gave them some money, you know, kicked them out the door and, and locked the doors, changed the locks, and they're like, woo, we're done. You know, we're done with adolescence. We're done with... And so, you know, you might be in that same situation. But here's what I want you to know, that God is calling each generation, whether you're involved in youth ministry. Did you know in the Bible that you can't find the phrase youth ministry? You can't find the phrase youth pastor. You can't find youth group. It's not in the Bible. There's a calling of a generation to reach the next generation and to teach them faith and contend for that generation. So uh, I want you to know that this is a calling on your life, and, and you may not understand that yet, but that's why I'm here today. Okay, so I, wanna, uh, I want to, to let you know what happened this past, this past week at our youth service. For those of you that don't know, we have uh, a youth service on Tuesday nights in northeast Portland. We combine our north campus and our south campus, and we have our youth service in God's been doing some great things, and we primarily reach unchurched kids. Uh, uh, some of you families are here with your teenagers, and that's wonderful. And, and I was telling Gary and uh, Joyce Robinson last night that I feel like when, when God put us together, it was like God giving us muscle. He had already kind of constructed the foundation or the skeleton of what he wanted to do, and now he just added the north side. And it's like you guys are just buff, you know, in the spirit. And you guys just came along and went, yeah, you know. And uh, I'm doing the P90X, so I hope that I won't just be buffed spiritually, but I'll be like, ah, you know, and, and just represent on the outside <laughs> what's going on on the inside. But here's the idea, is that uh, uh, on Tuesday nights, uh, my eyes were opened. And, and what we're doing on Tuesday nights, to give you a very quick background, is we are believing that this year we are going to focus and not just agree, not just agree with these three things I'm about to say, but, but absolutely alter our lives to be all about these three things. And the three things that we are going after as a youth ministry is prayer, souls, and discipleship. We believe if our students and our youth ministry and, and the people involved will not just agree that prayer is a good thing, but alter their life to absolutely go after prayer. We believe that, that if we wouldn't just agree that people need to be saved, but we would change everything that needs to be changed in order to see people saved. And we believe that not just agreeing that people need to be deep in God and discipleship, but if we would alter anything that needs to be altered to raise up a, a godly generation, that would happen. And so we're casting this vision on Tuesday night. And I don't know, there's probably 50 
people in the room. I don't, I, I don't know. He didn't count numbers. But usually there's anywhere between 40 and maybe upwards around 60 people in that room on a Tuesday night. And I'm casting vision and I'm saying, you know, God wants to do this in you. And, and, and literally, it was almost like a moment. I really hadn't planned on doing it, but it really occurred to me. And, and I said to the students, here's the deal. You will never become who God called you to be. You'll never change and, and just absolutely give yourself to things like prayer and seeing people get saved and discipleship. You'll never do that unless you understand that you are qualified to do this despite what's happened in your life. You see, the devil likes to hold things. Your memory likes to hold things about how screwed up you are, how you failed, how you haven't met the curve, how you're below standard. And the, the Bible says that, that the devil's an accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's always saying, you can't do it. You're not good enough. This happened to you. You're disqualified. And I said, friends, if we will come together, students, if we will come together, I want you to know that God knows exactly what happened to you. God knows your horror story that nobody else knows about. God's aware of it. God knows about it. Maybe no one else except for you knows about this deep, dark pain that happened to you. But God knows about it, and He still called you, and you're still qualified. That your past doesn't disqualify you. Your faith and dependence on God qualifies you. But how many of you would understand that so many students, and even us as adults, Sometimes we go, I'm not sure I can live up to the calling of God on my life because of my failures, because I'm not as godly as people think I am. And so this is what I did. I grabbed a bunch of pieces of paper, and these are the actual pieces of paper. And I handed out these pieces of paper. They don't have much, uh, uh, nothing fancy about it. And I handed it out. I said, you know what? We're not going to hide our stories anymore. We're not going to uh, cower in the corner as if, as if we have to hide. I said, here's what I'm asking you to do. I said, I'm asking you to not put your name. Do not write your name. I'm not interested. I said, here's the deal, and you guys can know this too. You need to tell everybody that you struggle. You need to admit. I mean, the, the reason why the world thinks we're hypocrites is because we act like we have it all together. Listen, let people know you're not in church because you're perfect. You're in church because you're screwed up. You know, that's why. We're, I mean, no perfect people allowed at True Life. If you're perfect, you're, you came to the wrong place. But here's the deal. You need to tell everybody that you struggle, but you should only tell a couple people what you struggle with. You don't need to tell the whole world all those things. You need to confide in some godly people that can hold you accountable and pray and bring your healing. But I said, we're not, we're not asking you to, 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 to just get it out. Everybody needs to know that this person did this and this person did this. But I, I said this. I said, I want you to write it out. I want you to write out your horror story. I want you to not hide it, not act like it never happened. I want you to write out the thing that you regret most that maybe no one knows about you. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to tell the devil. You're going to tell yourself. We're going to say, you know what, devil, you're trying to remind me about my past, about the things I screwed up in. I'm, you know what, devil, I know what happened. In fact, guess what? I'm writing it out. In fact, I know what happened. Look, it's right here, and guess what? It does not disqualify me. I, it happened to me. I suffered through this, or I'm going through this, but I'm letting God into my life, and I'm going to be a person that prays this year. I'm going to be a person that reaches people for, for Jesus. I'm going to be somebody that becomes a disciple of Christ, not someone that's just cool with God, but is all about God, that absolutely is, is, is all in for the things of God. Now, what I didn't realize is the stories that would come out. I had those kids hand those in. 
And I think you and I would agree that you've all heard that one story. You've always you've you've heard about that one girl. You've heard about that one guy. But friends, what happens when God opens your eyes that it's not any longer one guy or one girl but a generation? What happens, friends, when you start reading stories and instead of that person and that person, it's this person and 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 this person. I read things. I've been in youth ministry for 11 years. I've heard every story. I've just never heard every story in the same room. And friends, I want to read you. Before I read it, I want you to know that when Jesus was on this planet, He went up to people that had a problem. And He said, you know what? I'm not here for the healthy, but I'm here for the sick. And these stories might bother you. They might be a little offensive. But I want you to know that these are the stories of the teenagers that were in our youth ministry this past Tuesday. This isn't like five of the stories. I'm about to read you these stories. When I was age five or maybe younger, I was molested twice by girls. I feel completely empty all the time. Next one. I don't think I've ever truly repented because I still live a non-Christian life and I try to surrender every day, but I hate my life. Next one. I was sexually abused from the age of about two till I was six. Then because of that, because of my life was so bad, I was suicidal from the age of 10 till I was 13 and attempted three times, but always hit it off. Next one. My dad molested me. Next one. My horror story is myself. Most people think I am so great and have it all together, but I am such a good faker. No one knows how I struggle with myself. I am my horror story. Next one, I got kicked out of three schools. Next one, I am a girl. I used to do stuff with other girls. Next one, I was paid money to get naked in front of a male. I am a male. Next one, I grew up alone and empty. It was so bad that I wanted to commit suicide. Next one, I was beat by my dad pretty much every day for about 11 years. Next one, I've stolen things and have been mentally and physically abused for wanting to be a Christian. Next one, went to a party and got high and my friends tried to beat me up. I smoked pot for about three months after. Next one, I was exposed to sex at the age of four and was sexually active at the age of six and I have struggled with it all my life. Next one. I lost my virginity when I was 12 and continued that path of impurity until last December. From all that came depression and cutting. Next one. As a child, I was molested by the men and women that should have protected me. I still struggle with authority. Next one. 
My earliest memories of my father is in a rage and of the physical and emotional pain it caused. And as I grew, I developed an eating disorder. At my lowest point, I had given away my purity. I was pregnant, praying my baby would die. It was suicidal. Next one. My dad died. I was molested, and my mom told me she hated me all before the age of 10. I struggled with drugs, alcohol, and an eating disorder all before the age of 16. Next one. I was exposed to homosexuality at a very young age. I was verbally abused, lost my virginity, and my family was shattered because of sexual immorality. Next one. When I was 13, I got hooked into internet pornography addiction. Next one. I have horror nightmares and am full of regret from past arguments. Next one. My brother molested me when I was about seven. Next one. I smoked pot for two years of my life and I regret every bit because it made me seem like nothing else mattered. Next one. My parent had an affair. Next one. I lost my virginity and most people have no idea about the results of action that has caused. Next one. Most people don't know that I was suicidal for two years. My sister was suicidal for three and a half years. My dad was suicidal for four years. And my brother was suicidal for six years. All three of us have attempted suicide at least twice. I struggle with insecurity, depression, and my whole family is going through a hard time right now. I lie to my parents, friends, relatives, numerously, even when I don't need to. It's a habit that I've struggled with for at least five years. Next one. I lie to my parents, friends, or I've, next one, I've had inner breakdown and torment and dysfunctional chaos. Next one. I saw a dead body when I was only five and now I can't stand the sight of blood. Next one. I was healed of an eating disorder, yet I'm still struggling. Next one. I got high and passed out at a party. And guys did things to me while I was passed out and they took pictures of me. That's not just a few stories. That's our youth ministry. And friends, if that is happening inside of our youth ministry... What is happening outside the four walls of our youth ministry? I'm not calling you to just have, have weeping tears over a generation. I'm calling you to contend for a generation. Jesus died to reach this generation. I could go on. That's just one and a half pages. Parents got divorced at 14, addicted to pornography for years. I could go on. But friends, that is the stories of the lives of teenagers that were in our service on Tuesday night this past Tuesday. Jesus came for the sick and not the healthy. Jesus has called us as a generation to not give up on the next generation, but to contend for a generation. And I prayed to God as I typed out that list. I said, God, don't let me become numb to these stories. Don't let me just 
I was so afraid today that I would be just reading these out because I've looked over it so many times, but I want you to know that God has called us. And we cannot afford to gather and have nice church and side hug and eat our pastries and hear a few nice things. You see, God is wanting to raise up churches in the United States of America, in Vancouver and Camas, in Portland, that will gather together and contend to see a move of God like no other. And I'm calling you today. I don't have any desire to just give you some shock treatment, to let your jaw drop to the ground and say, I had no idea. I'm calling you to respond. I want to read to you a scripture that I believe God gave me, and I'm just going to close with this, and then we're going to pray. Luke chapter 5 is the story of the lame man that was brought to Jesus, and they had to open up the roof to drop him down. And I want to read this to you. How many of you know, friends, that we don't need just emotional stories. We need the Word of God. Luke chapter 5 says this, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately He rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on, and went home glorifying God, and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now I have a few observations about this scripture, and if you grew up in the church or you've been reading your Bible over the last few years, chances are you've come by this story before. But a few things stood out to me as I prayed, and I said, God, which scripture, what are you trying to do to get us to contend and show us? And he brought me to this scripture, and one of the first things that I noticed about this scripture is the house was full, but the house was full of Pharisees and teachers of the law. There was no room for the broken. There was no room for the bruised. There was no room for the paralyzed. You see, the house of God was full, but it was full of religious people. It was full of teachers of the law. And although God didn't seem to be, Jesus didn't seem to be too concerned who the house was full of, I would tell, say to you, I believe that He was desperate to make way for the bruised and the broken. And I say to you, if you're trying to figure out where your church home should be, or you're trying to figure out the vision and the values of True Life Church, I will tell you that we cannot afford 
to have a gathering where the house is full of simply religious people. We need to be a church, a house that is full of the bruised and the broken, where there is a way, there is an aisle, there is a possibility, there is nothing holding back a generation that is broken, bruised, hurting, and crying out for a Savior that can heal them. In this house, there will be room for those who are hurting. See, the house was full. And I think sometimes we, we, we try and fill the house or, or we think, oh, if we just talked about this or if we had this or if you dressed this way. Friends, we can't afford, we cannot afford to get on different wavelengths of, well, I think this. Well, I think our church should do that. I think this. Pastor Brian's wearing jeans. He's wearing a t-shirt. I can't believe we're in a school. We have black chairs. I think we should have white chairs. Friends, would you come into agreement today, regardless of your church background, regardless of the other places that you've been or this house that you've been in for 10 years or 11 years, can we come into agreement that the petty things should be shoved off to the side? The things that we used to get bugged about, the, the volume of the music, the clothes that we wear, the color of the carpet, the school that we use. Can we just say, who cares? There's broken and lost people that we must reach. We've got to contend for a generation. I I want to be honest with you. Me wearing jeans and a t-shirt is not going to reach a generation. Us playing loud music on Tuesday nights, worshiping God and just going for it, that's not going to reach a generation. What's going to reach a generation is not us trying to be trendy or cool or relevant or get people to like us more. What's going, to, what's going to change a generation is going to be an older generation that contends for a generation, that prays and covers. Then when they come to a place and they hear the music and they see the people, there's something that is going on in their hearts because the Holy Spirit is after them and opening up their eyes and their ears and their hearts to the gospel. Never for one time do I ever want you to think that we need to be more trendy or relevant so that we can reach the current culture. I wear jeans because they're comfortable. If you think your slacks or your button-up shirt is comfortable, wear it. Some of you are are ditch diggers and you you wear jeans every day and you're like, ick, I want to get out of jeans at least one day a week. Wear your slacks to church, whatever floats your boat. But that's not what matters. What matters is that there's a generation that we must contend for. There's a city out there that has people who have experienced the love, favor, and healing of God. We must come together and we must present the hope of the world. We must show them that there's hope where there seems to be no hope. We must come together and say, you know what? I don't care if this is going on. I don't care if if I like the name True Life or don't. Who cares? Let's reach a generation. Let's be a church that contends. Let's be active. Let's be mobile. Let's come together and say, I want to be a part of something that brings change in the darkness. The house was full, but it was full of Pharisees and teachers of the law. Right when you think you need something deeper, maybe you need to think of, that you need to get something in you that you can actually reach with the depth that you already have. Yeah, people all the time. I read it all the time. I got pastor friends. They left the church. Why did they leave the church? They were looking for something deeper. How many people did they reach for Jesus last year? Well, nobody, but they wanted something deeper. You see, we just want to sit with Jesus. We just want to come into the house and say, Jesus, teach us. Jesus, fill me with your wisdom. 
And pretty soon, listen, the right mentality of wanting to be in the spirit of, of the presence of God and wanting that which is right, pretty soon, if we don't balance that out with the mobilization of the church, we turn into Pharisees and teachers of the law. We turn into people that just keep sitting and keep sitting and keep sitting. And we say, well, we're just going to see if Pastor Steve will, will, will get me to, to, to just kind of make it through another week. Or I just want to hear a, a better Bible study. I'm just wondering if we're going to have more prayer services. I'm just wondering if we're going to have a, a book-by-book study of the Bible. And friends, listen, we need the Word of God. We need the depth of God, the roots that go down deep. But friends, if we just sit here, pretty soon God's going to say, hey, it's time for you to get out of your chair. It's time for, for you to stop listening to the Word of God and start acting out the Word of God for this generation. Could you agree with me, friends, that we need to not be sticklers and, and get, get on soapboxes that don't matter? And we need, to, we need to start judging fruit by saying, how effective are we in the culture? Not how much Bible knowledge do we have? Jesus was effective in His culture but he regularly went to the mountaintop to be alone with the Father. You see, it's not either or. There are churches, I heard one church say, and I kind of respect the guy, but he was a little off on this one. He said, if you want discipleship, you're in the wrong church. (laughs) And he said, you know, we're after souls. We don't have time for Bible studies and things like that. And I was like, oh, brother man, I understand what you're saying, but you kind of fell off the other side. We need people that desperately want the Word of God, but then we get up, make way, and go out and bring in the lame man. There was no room for the sick man. Let's make room. The question goes out, who will be the ones that will be willing to carry the sick generation to the house of God? Who will be these nameless people? Do you notice that it doesn't say any names about who brought them? They were nameless. They were faceless. They didn't have a title. It didn't say in the pastor and the youth pastor and the elders went out and they brought in the hurting man. Just some people. Just some friends. Just some people that saw somebody that needed Jesus and made sure they got to a place to be exposed to Jesus. Who will be the people Who will be the church? Who will be the gathering of people that bring in the broken and the lost, the molested, the hurting, the bruised, the rejected? Who will be the church to bring them to the house of God? What do we want our church? What do we want our house filled with? I want to finish with this. Friends, there's hope. I want to tell you something when a church gets up and picks up, when the people of God pick up the broken people, the hurting people, and I'm talking specifically about a generation whose story after story after story, I'm here to tell you that the very thing that caused the pain, the very thing that caused the brokenness, the very thing that caused the bruised and the broken will be the very thing that brings God glory. You see, Jesus was able. He saw the faith. He saw the effort. Friends, can I just tell you something? I've got to take a quick time out before I get to the, the healing miracle. Listen, they did whatever it took to get them to Jesus. They opened up a roof. I don't care. Well, back in those days, the roofs weren't like today's roof. I don't care. It was a roof. And they had to get up and they had to 
whatever straw. You know, I didn't go into the whole biblical history of houses to prep for this sermon. All I know is that they were on a roof and they had to like dig open the roof and kick it open and, and whatever it took. And there was probably, you know, maybe it's made out of mud and mud's falling on people. Do you think they cared? Do you think they were like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this. There, it might get messy. No, they're like, sick person, Jesus, we got to connect them. Sick person, Jesus, whatever it takes. Friends, let me ask you this. Are you willing to do whatever it takes as a church to reach a generation? Are you willing to alter what might be comfortable for you? Are you willing to be a part of a church that you might be able to do something else and feel just more fuzzy maybe somewhere else? Are you willing to experience the heart of God for a generation and say, you know what, I'm willing for a little mud to fall on my parade. I'm willing to go out of my way. I'm willing to dig. I'm willing to uh, use the time and the energy. Friends, it would have been easier for those guys to go, hey, I need Jesus too. I need Jesus too. We can't save everyone. I'm going to go hang out where Jesus is at and just forget the guy. But they went out of their way. Church, guess what? As True Life Church, I'm telling you right up front, we're going to go out of our way to reach the bruised and the broken, the wandering and the wounded. And it might seem a little hard for you at times. It is for me. It might seem awkward. The service is not this, and I don't know why they're doing this, and we got... But Jesus didn't come here for the healthy. He came here for the sick. Amen, somebody. So here's what happened. Jesus sees, watch this. Oh, will you please get this because I've got it. Listen, when Jesus saw the faith of the people, he healed the broken. When he saw the faith of the people, the people that brought him, he healed the broken. Listen, God needs your faith to do his will he already wants to do it it's already in his heart to do it listen when we go okay that's it i'm going to be a part of this church i'm going to be a part of reaching this generation when we do what i'm telling you when god sees this faith he moves maybe we shouldn't cry out for revival we should just cry out for movement because when the people moved god moved when jesus saw the faith he's like Hey, my will's already here. I'm just waiting to combine it with my people. He got that? Okay. Because that's good stuff right there. That's good stuff. Now, here's here's how I want to close. It says in verse 25, 24, he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on. Listen to this. He picked up what he had been lying on and glorified God. Listen, 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 listen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to end because I want to pray, but I want you to get this. The very things that these kids are lying on, the abuse, the pain, the hurt, the torment, They are going to pick up their stories and they are going to glorify God with their stories. They will say, I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but I can now see. I was sexually molested, but God has given me purity and innocence. I was addicted to cocaine and meth. 
and drugs, but now I'm addicted to Jesus. People say it can't happen. On paper, it's not possible. Everyone's saying this generation is going to hell. Everyone's saying this generation will never mount up. In fact, uh, people, the statistics are coming about, out about this generation, how messed up they are. They can't hold jobs. They can't graduate school. Yet the very mat that they're talking about, the very pain that they're talking about will be proof that our God is a great God. Friends, in the city of Vancouver, in the city of Camas, in the city of Portland, there will be a light that shines on a hill. In the city of darkness, in the unchurched area of this nation, we will be able to say, our God is alive in the well. And they will say, how do you know? And we'll say, because the very map that people are talking about, the brokenness, the abuse, the, the people who are lost and in chains are now free. And here is the map to prove it. He picked up his mat and he went around glorifying God and it says, awe struck the people everywhere. How do you get the attention of a city? Miracles. Changed lives. How do you get the attention that God is doing something that's bigger than positive thinking and self-help tips and five ways to have a better marriage and four ways for you to get better grades and three ways to think better about yourself. How do you get beyond that into the real life-changing power of Jesus Christ from the cross? Changed lives, miracles, maps that were on the ground, stories of abuse get rolled up and a generation on Tuesday night picks this up and they pick up their piece of paper and they say, this is my story, but it will be my map that I celebrate with how does that happen it happens when this church contends not because see God already, how many of you know God wants every person to be healed yes. problem's not God God's not like I'm, this year I, I'm going to want to heal people has God wanted to heal people since Adam and Eve sinned yes. so what's going to bring about the healing if God already wants to do it coming together and saying, we will put all of our preferences aside. We wish Pastor Brian would wear a tie, but you know what? You know what? I don't care anymore. I used to care. That's my map. I used to care about those things, but now I want to see God move. I used to look for the biggest church, the church that had everything for my needs, but you know what? I just want to see God move. That's my mat. What's going to happen when a church contends and says, let's do it? What does it look like for you to pick up the mat. I'm not even going to preach about it. I think we have it right up on the screen. What does it mean for you to, to carry a generation? Oh, do we have it up on the screen? Maybe. Oh, next one. There we go. Simple things. I'm a pastor, so I use C words because we like to do that. Contend, contribute, carry, and compel. Listen, you need to write this down. What would it mean for you to respond to this message? Friends, will you, will you hear this? What it means for you to respond to this message is not to agree with this message. See, we're moving from agreement, from agreement to action. We could all agree that God wants to do something, but if we don't do anything about it, we're just kidding ourselves. 
What does it mean? It means to contend for this generation in prayer. I've asked Gary Whitman, and you can hand that out when they, when they leave today or we'll get that. I asked Gary Whitman to hand out a, a piece of paper that has a prayer guide for you to contend with this generation, praying that we would open our eyes, that this generation would open their ears, and that their hearts would soften. How can you pray? You say, Brian, I don't even know how to pray. We gave you a sheet. It's also on our website, truelifechurch.tv. You can download it, print it out. You can read it right on our website site, whatever you like to do, if, or if you know you're never going to pull up our website, grab the piece of paper and just use it to pray. Pray, pray, pray. Some of you need to let God speak to you and say, every Tuesday I'm going to fast because God's going to move on Tuesday night at Switch. Some of you need to say, I'm, I'm going I'm to do something. I'm gonna, we're going to start uh, having a prayer team around Pastor Brian and Pastor Jen and the youth leaders. Whatever it takes, you need to pray. Do not agree. Pray. Pray, pray. Second thing, you need to contribute to this generation financially. Listen, some of you have been blessed. Some of you, you know, I, I mean, I, just driving down 192nd, for those of you who don't know, I'm off of Gleason and Burnside in, 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 in northeast Portland. I thought, ooh, maybe, Lord, someday I'm going to move up onto 192nd, but I won't because my wife said we're never leaving Portland. But here's the, deal. here's the deal. Some of you have been blessed, and you know what you need to say? Listen, it's not for us just to keep upgrading our house and upgrading our lifestyle. We need to sow seed into the kingdom. We need to see people get saved. Friends, there are financial needs that we have for our youth ministry that fireworks money, quite frankly, cannot supply. We need people to say, you know what? I don't know. I'm not going to come on Tuesday. I, I don't know how to do that, but I can write a check. I can contribute. We want to buy Bibles. We're going to start an outreach on Tuesday afternoons into our community. All those types of things. You need to think about contributing financially. That's what God's given you. How many of you know that 16-year-olds don't have that much money, especially the kids we're reaching? Third thing is carry this generation as is. And what I mean by that is when they come in, you love them as is. You don't try and change them. You don't try and pick them up. That's for God to pick them up. It's for God to say, rise and walk. Quit trying to open up their legs and break it open and try to get them to fit the model of a church kid. Why don't we let them be broken as is and let God bring the healing? Let your judgment go. When you see some kid walking in with 20 piercings and, 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 and stinking girl jeans on and all this, you know what? We are going to carry them as is. They brought them to Jesus. They didn't try to be Jesus. Let's just let people be as is, love them, show them the love of God, and let God bring about the change. Let God uh, uh, cause them to rise and walk, and let them pull out their piercings, and let that be the mat. Let them, well, in the changing room, change out of those nasty jeans, and, and bring back and say, this is who I was. This is what happened to me, but God saved me and gave me hope, and I don't have to be full of rage and anger anymore. Let them be as is. You say, yeah, but shouldn't they know? Yeah, it's for the Holy Spirit to do. Don't be the Holy Spirit. You just be the carrier. How many of you just think that's great? Some of you are like, oh, I don't know about my children. Be around these people. Your children are the strength to carry the exact people we need to reach. Some of you dads might be like, oh, I can't believe that's going on on Tuesday nights and my kids were there. Sir? Those stories were your kids' stories. That wasn't the South Side kids. It was all the kids. And no matter who you are, if God has saved you, He called you to carry. And we need to assemble people, students included, to carry their peers to Jesus Christ. And the last thing is compel them with faith. We need to teach faith 
to this generation, not just drink Starbucks and take them to football games and, and hang out. We need to teach faith. When you don't need to correct a person. What you need to do is just teach them faith. Uh, Timothy, Paul talked to Timothy about how his mother had, had imparted faith and his grandmother had imparted faith to her and her to Timothy and now Timothy to the church. There's a generational responsibility to teach faith. It's a family responsibility. If you are a parent, it is your responsibility to your children to teach them faith. But how many of you know that we have a generation without parents who are not teaching them anything? It is the job of the church to teach faith. And we're starting that. We're getting families involved. We're involving adults into our life groups on Sunday afternoons. We're getting people, mothers and fathers in the faith, that will wrap their arms around children and say, around these teenagers and say, you know what, I'm going to teach you faith. I'm going to believe in you. I care about you. Uh, and, and we won't talk about mothers and fathers because that sounds kind of weird. But we're just going to say, I'm going to be somebody that you can trust that will teach you these things. Will you contend for this generation? If this has happened in our four walls, will you agree with me that what's happening outside of these four walls must just be unbelievable? Therefore, we will see the deliverance of God as we contend. Let's stand together.